Today we have a very, very dear friend, very accomplished businessman, professional, Yash Gupta with us. And Yash is from a very well-known old Delhi family. His grandfather founded in Cables. A lot of people may remember the name Delton Cables. And yet Yash was one of the few people from family businesses who broke out and decided to go and study and become an entrepreneur. Before that, he was a professional. So Yash, welcome to the podcast. Before I ask you any questions, I would like to tell all our viewers that you're from Modern School, one of the most happening schools of Delhi, from Carnegie Mellon, they're from Harvard Business School, and you worked with some of the most exciting companies like McKinsey and Heinz before starting off on your own. So talk to us a little bit about early years, uh, what made you select the undergrad college, and a little bit about your journey first in your family business and then go to McKinsey. Sure, sure. Thank you, Ashutosh, for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. So as you correctly said, I grew up in a family business and uh, my grandfather, who was a tremendous entrepreneur, started the business in his early years and the business did very well. But as, and this was early 50s, as I was you know, graduating from high school and thinking about college, and this was late 80s, I thought there was a bit of a paradigm shift that was happening in the industry, where in the earlier days, especially the early days of after India's independence in India, your access to capital was really what kind of commandeered your ability to be in a business. And because capital was scarce, opportunity or demand was plenty. And as long as you had capital and you were able to create some supply, there was a good chance your business would do fairly well. But then as India was opening up a little bit more, competition was being encouraged from a supply side economy, you were going to a buy side economy. And the thought was that there would be a little bit more emphasis on your capability and your competence versus just access to capital. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you ask me why I chose Carnegie Mellon. Carnegie Mellon was a terrific college for me and has done very, very well since then. But the reason I chose Carnegie Mellon was because their tagline used to be the professional choice. Right. Now, this is mid-80s where, you know, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have access to as much information as you do today. But you had to make decisions on your college in a very limited access. And I really liked what Carnegie Mellon stood for. The ethos was that you come, you work hard, you study hard, and then the school will help you develop a competence to be a professional that kind of stands on its own. And for me, coming from a family business, thinking through the new paradigm where business would be, the thought was if I professionally, quote unquote, qualify myself through this journey, it would stand me in good stead, which it did. Even when I went back into the family business and ran the family business for many years in Bangalore, the fact that I had learned how to work hard, I had learned how to think on my feet, I had learned how to kind of dissect complex problems in logical steps, was really helped me in good stead. So it was a non-traditional thing to do. The more certain way at that point in time was you, you graduated from high school, you did college part-time, you joined the family business part-time, you learned on the job. It was a practitioner's approach. But the thought was that that's interesting, but then you're limited to what you or your ancestors or predecessors have learned. But you don't have access to new learning as much. And the thought for me was paradigms are shifting, the world is shifting, and if I have the capability and the opportunity to kind of upskill myself through new thought, that should be something of value, which it was. So after your undergrad, you came back to family business, went to Bangalore, and you have shared that there were some challenges, and yet you ran the business. So talk to us a little bit about the business, and then what made you take a decision to go for your MBA? 
Those were some very interesting years. So I graduated from Carnegie Mellon, went and worked for Price Waterhouse. There was no Coopers at that time, which was a very highly respected consulting firm in Chicago. And I'd come back to India for a holiday, but realized that the family business was in trouble. So out of both a sense of duty as well as a sense of adventure, I think the decision was that I would join the family business. This is the time where a lot of family businesses in industry were going through a bit of a complex period where because they had always operated in a supply side economics or supply side economy, where as long as they were able to produce, there was a market and often the market was the government. The market was there for them and it was a cost plus methodology. So they didn't have to be very efficient in the way they approached things. But that was changing. The economy was getting more open. This is just pre-liberalization of 1991. This is 1990 I'm talking about. And the competition was coming in. But these industries, legacy industries, were having a tough time trying to figure out how to compete in an environment like this. So not that I knew all the answers, but the point was it was both a sense of duty as a family member as well as an opportunity to kind of learn on the job, which, which India provides the best access to, mm -hmm. that I drove right in. Very challenging times, very exciting times, very high learning time. My learning curve was off the roof. And what you learned very quickly was, I think, two or three things, if I have to paraphrase those. The first is have a lot of confidence in yourself, which says, even if you don't know the answers, if you're committed to the process, the answers do come. And it's a, it's a cliche, you know, it's all about one step at a time. But when I look back and think about how things worked out and where things worked out, they would not have worked out had I just not dug right in. The second thing that was interesting was the fact that trust is extremely, extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. And I was the only North Indian practically in a three, four hundred people setup where, which was largely South Indians because the company was in Bangalore. And at that point in time, there wasn't that much mobility between the cultures. And one had to spend a lot of time trying to develop the trust where people realize that you are there trying to manage the interest of all stakeholders, not just your own vested interest. And you'd have to not just talk the talk, but you had to actually walk the talk. You had to show them that this is something that you really meant. And for me, what I'm still proud of is I finally did sell the company many years later. But one of my conditions was the people who were employed in the company should continue to stay employed in the company and they still are. And because of the trust, a lot of people came and helped me, which they would not have because they had not known me, right? But they trusted my intentions. They trusted my integrity. They trusted that I really was trying to do something which was in everyone's interest to the best it could. You know, it was not that I was able to make everyone happy. But at least I was trying to do the best I could for all the different stakeholders involved that that helped. The last point to this and the reason why I left was, you know, you have to keep on challenging yourself. And I see this far too often in Indian family businesses where once the business was profitable and we were doing fine, there wasn't a lot of room for growth because we were a niche segment now and we had lost the momentum that our competition had taken advantage of. So we couldn't really catch up. So we had a niche, we could protect it, we would earn money, which was great. But that's all we can do. And I find a lot of this future generations who have legacy family businesses kind of reconcile themselves to the fact that, okay, I have a business. It earns money. It provides a decent lifestyle. There may not be that much growth. There may not be that much opportunity. There may not be that much challenge, but at least it's comfortable. And my mantra for life has been, it's not about comfort. It's all about challenging yourself to be all that you can be. And that is really why I think, you know, on a more metaphysical level or a philosophical level, that's the reason why we're here. So the thought was, okay, done this, now what? And I really did not know what the answer to the now what was. So an MBA at that point in time, I was 20, 
I think 29, I had been out of college for about eight or some years. A lot of people said that it doesn't make sense. You're actually running a business. Mm -hmm. Why would you leave? But for me, the whole point was that opportunity to go back would give me the breath, which would help me open my mind, which will again help me reskill and reboot my worldview to see what else are the new paradigms that are there. And I was just fortunate to get into some good business schools and uh, that's why I went. So a lot of young people, listeners to our podcast, uh, do want to do an MBA. And uh, you have graduated from the best business school in the world, which is Harvard Business School. What would you advise people on how to make a selection? Or is it just to get into whatever you can? Oh, no, no, no. It's a very, very good question. It's something that I thought about because I was, you know, because my opportunity cost was so high. I thought about it a lot. Two things. Let's start with the basics. They say, and this was, I remember at the Harvard Admissions Council, I heard this. The three advantages of an MBA are the very first is the education itself, which is what you learn there. The second advantage is the alumni network, your access to equally smart, if not smarter people around the world that you now can access to, to get counsel from, to connect with, to open doors, etc. And the third was a brand, which kind of helps in two ways. One is the fact that it kind of helps people place that you as a person of a certain kind of talent. Mm -hmm. And the second is it allows you to open doors which would otherwise not have been opened without that brand. So the corollary there is that means if you don't get into an MBA school, which has the brand, which has the alumni network, which is giving you the chance to kind of broaden your horizon and, and think about what it is that you want to do. If you have an industry in mind, we will give you access to that industry. If you have a vocation or a functional skill in mind, does it deepen that skill of yours? If you have a geography in mind, does it place you in the geography or give you job opportunities in the geography? If a school is not answering those questions or ticking those boxes, I would think twice because it has both a time commitment and a money commitment to it. Once you have the choices, and I was lucky here, I applied to five business schools and I got into all five, both in Europe and in the US. Ultimately, the choice came down for me to the place where I knew I was going to come back to India. Mm -hmm. Something which would have as robust an alumni network in India as it would have in the US as well. A lot of the European schools don't have that, which was there. And would it give me a brand which would allow me to be more of a global citizen, which it did. So that's that's how I chose it. And then after you finished your MBA, you joined McKinsey. Spent a few years in McKinsey and then entered real estate. So my first question relates to your experience and your journey with McKinsey. And the second question is that you came back to India into real estate and real estate traditionally has been characterized by a lot of challenges, if I can use that term. And, you know, you took a decision from being a family business person into Carnegie Mellon, into Harvard Business School, into McKinsey. Then what made you come to real estate? First, your experience with McKinsey. Okay, I'll start with McKinsey then. McKinsey was for two reasons. One, a challenge and second, a desire. The first challenge was McKinsey at that point in time, I graduated in 99. I think it's the same today. But for every 10 people that applied from Harvard into McKinsey, only one got selected. And again, you know, rolling back to what I talked about earlier, which is coming from a family business, you were always kind of programmed to believe that you have access to opportunity because of your lineage, not because of your competence. Right. So the burden that people like me carry is we're always testing our competence to, to prove to ourselves more than anything else that, that yes, we can stand our own uh, with the best in the world. Mm -hmm. So the first reason I chose McKinsey was, was just to test myself that can I stand my own with the best in the world and I can, can I get that opportunity, which I was fortunate to do. I had to work fairly hard for it. The second part was 
it is again going back into how the world is getting more and more complex. Today we think about and we talk about big data, we talk about very complex problems with lots of different variables and how do you kind of solve these complex problems. And I think McKinsey is probably one of the better places in the world, if not the best place in the world, to really learn from how to break complex problems down, how to think them through, how to take them to a logical conclusion. I call McKinsey the advanced program for MBA, and it really was that. Mm -hmm. And I'm eternally grateful to them for giving me that capability or teaching me that capability. Coming into real estate, when I left McKinsey, I, came, I did McKinsey in New York for a few years, came back to India with McKinsey. As I told you, I always wanted to be back in India. But when I came back to McKinsey, I'd done five years at McKinsey or four and a half years at McKinsey at that time, a few more than I thought I would, but because of the geographical transition I did, the question was what next? And what was happening in India at that time, this is now 2003, 2004, India was just opening up to FDI. And there was a very interesting inflection point in real estate. Real estate, as you know, is the largest asset class in the world. It allows you to kind of make an impact in a very broad sense and a very meaningful sense because anything in the world, you think about homes, you think about office, you think about playing, real estate touches that. In real estate, what was happening was that the as Indian middle class was growing, the middle class was the biggest consumer of real estate mm -hmm. from the home's point of view. As Indian corporate was growing, they were the largest consumer of office in India. Right. Real estate, as you correctly said, in the earlier versions, used to have a lot of challenges. It used to be seen as a warehouse of, of certain kind of money, and it never attracted the best and the brightest. Correct. So the supply side, of real estate, which is the developer, the land, etc., was still in that paradigm of saying, oh, real estate is, is, is for this purpose. The demand side had completely changed. It's the new emerging India, which said, I need a home or I want a better home. You know, it was saying, I need a better office. I need a better shopping experience. I need this, I need that. But that professional thought and that professional competence was not coming to real estate mm -hmm. for various reasons. What I have kind of staked my career on is said, we think that will change. It's only a matter of time. When the market changes, it forces the supply side to follow suit. Mm -hmm. It's only a matter of time. Right. Which is why I said that's real estate, because it is very entrepreneurial. I had an entrepreneurial background. I've run the family business for many years, so I could do that. It was yet getting very professional. You can bring a lot of professional paradigm and new systems and processes uh, into play, which was what I wanted to do. So got into real estate, started a company called Heinz. Heinz today is a top five real estate groups around the world at about $110, $111 billion of assets in the management. And we opened the office in India to bring the best of professional competence into India. At the same time, operate without any of the customary bad practices that are prevalent in real estate, which is a fine balancing act. We had the luxury of having very good partners like DLF and Shamgoop, et cetera, which helped us a lot. And I'm really proud that we built some very good assets like One Horizon Center or Skyview Corporate Park as a part of that. And it's today the people appreciate them for the quality of the product. But what is really remarkable is three things for me. One, the team that we put together did not come from real estate industry in large. Mm -hmm. So these were new people, very hungry, very smart, very committed, and we built some great assets, even despite not having real estate background exactly like I did not have a real estate mm -hmm. background. The second thing that we are proud of is we were able to use professional practices 
the same processes, the same paradigm, the same kind of thinking that happens in other parts of the world to make our buildings faster and to some extent cheaper than the competition. And it just proves that if you have access and the ability to bring good practices from different parts of the world, they do work in India. Mm. Uh, the third part I think that I'm really, really proud of is that the market appreciated that. They not just appreciated the quality of the product, they appreciated the integrity that we brought to the table with our franchise. And they said, we want this. And they were willing to pay extra for it. So it's been a good journey in real estate. Lots of challenges, but I think the time is now. With RERA, with the land supply increasing, with a lot of different things that have happened in the last two or three years. It's taken a long time, mm -hmm. but it has finally happened where the customer has been able to force the government or at least push the government or motivate the government to take certain things which are making the sector much more professional, more transparent. Staying with uh, One Horizon Center, I mean, you know, you've taken a lot of risks in life, uh, you know, as you moved through and done many, many things. You took a decision to build this very iconic One Horizon Center at very expensive costs in a market which was not giving such buildings. And I know that you were successful in getting much, much higher rental yields than any other business. But when you were committing such large sums of money, what were the thoughts going through your mind? And because you were in a market where the rental yields are much lower, yeah. they are all around you in Gurgaon. Yes. And then second, related to that, is you also took a risk of building an absolutely incredible area for families and people to come together to eat food. And you were taking on the cyber city of Gurgaon. And today, One Horizon Center is the most happening place for people to go and eat. So what were your thoughts in these two areas? First and foremost, I think in real estate, the biggest raw material that you're most particular about is location. And it's all thanks to Mr. Rajiv Singh, who's the head of DLF, that he was magnanimous enough to give us the opportunity to do this mm -hmm. because the location of Horizon Center just works for Gurgaon and becoming almost a fulcrum for Gurgaon. That's the concept that we really wanted to play with was till then and very often in real estate, the developers are much more focused on pushing the product. Hey, I've got this product. Why don't you buy it? Why don't you rent it? Why don't you do something with it? And our whole thought was we don't want to push a product. We want to pull a need. Mm -hmm. The need in Gurgaon and since then some very nice formats like Cyber Hub have come up. But at that point in time, this is 2008, there was really no landmark. There was really no center of Gurgaon as such where people would come and congregate. Mm -hmm. And we realized that if we could create a real estate format where people would come, that by itself becomes an icon or a landmark. Once that becomes a landmark, then that helps all the real estate around it, which was our promise to DLF as well, that we will help create the landmark with their help. But if we do create the landmark, then it kind of has an upsell value to all the real estate around it. So the thought then was, how do we do that? And we, we spent a lot of time looking at consumer behavior, looking at unmet needs, looking at what people wanted. I mean, one thing that's worked very well is our retail format there. And what we did in that retail format was kind of balance uh, different cuisines, different price points, different wait times. So you, have, you can have a meal in 15 minutes and you can have a meal in one and a half hours as you'd like, but you have all the options there. But finding a way to create a solution which the customer, because it's largely a residential area, which the customer would appreciate. And if they would appreciate, it creates a bit of stickiness. So we, and of course, we are a business. We have to make profit. One of the ways of doing that was by having a premium offering on our rentals. We were confident, however, that the Indian consumer is willing to pay 
but has to see value for it. And we were not saying that, okay, we want rentals, which were just not unheard of. They were heard of, but in Connaught Place. So we're saying if people are willing to pay that kind of rental in Connaught Place, why can't they pay the rental in Gurugatha, right? So we just have to create the right solution. So that is, I think, what worked for us was give the right, understand the need of the customer, cater to that need in a way better than others have done. We've actually, I beg to differ, we, are, we seem expensive, but we're not that expensive okay. a building. But we have been able to prove to our investors mm. whose behalf we work, that we are able to put the pieces together in a manner that creates additional value for everyone. Right. Stakeholders, consumers, investors. So, you know, unlike most people who would deliver something really outstanding and then coast along. Once again, we're hungry for something different. You quit Heinz, you know, instead of sitting back and enjoying this beautiful building that you've built and the fabulous office, the corner office with great view. You left all that and uh, have started your own company, Yashkupta Real Estate. So what made you make this change all over again? Well, small plug-in for your book, The Corner Office, which, which tells you to keep on reinventing yourself and not get attached to it. Yeah. But the thought was very simple, and this would be my advice to entrepreneurs today. And I think I'm so happy that the entrepreneurial fervor in this country is just getting stronger and stronger. The thought is fairly simple, Ash, which is with what's happening in medical science, all of us can hope to live longer than our previous generation have lived. Mm-hmm. Now, let's assume if our previous generation were living somewhere between 70 to 80, and we will live between 80 to 90, and the traditional retirement age stays at 60, that's 20 to 30 years post your retirement that you'll be alive, and you can be productive. Medical science is ensuring that. So what do you do with that? And the only way you can maximize your impact, this is not just about wealth creation, this is about maximizing the impact of one's own life it's back to the paradigm of be all that you can be the thought was the only way to maximize the impact of one's life is by staying gainfully employed and gainfully occupied if entrepreneurial platforms being an entrepreneur allows you to be productive as long as you like to be productive my grandfather was going to the office till he was 85 and everyone has their own balance as such but at least you should have access to the opportunity the thought behind ygr is really to create a platform which gives me and like-minded people like me the opportunity to stay productive for as long as we'd like to stay productive, to make as much impact as we can make, and to really further the passion, the cause that I'm very, very focused on, which is ethical, high-integrity real estate development or real estate investment, but prove to the industry that you can work and play with the rules that you want to play with and yet be successful in an industry where a lot of people think you can't. Fantastic. So I hope to keep coming back to you over and over again as you reach new milestones in YGR. So moving away from your journey, one question for you to reflect on and share with with all of us. Through your journey, what has been your biggest failure? And what has been your learning from this failure? That's an interesting question. Where do I start? (laughs) I remember reading this book by Tal Ben-Shar called Perfect. Mm -hmm. And uh, what he says in the book is, if you want to be successful, double your failure rate. And I've had my fair share. And that's been lucky. And I see that as lucky. The one that I would talk about is an investment we made in an area where the infrastructure was going to develop. 
and the infrastructure development was necessary to not necessary but at least was going to be business case was based on that infrastructure development to unlock the value for the project unfortunately the development of the infrastructure just took a lot longer than we had anticipated we came out okay but not as good as we should have come out in that project and i think what i failed to really identify at that point in time was that how things can go wrong and what the impact of things going wrong can have on your business case specifically so in this case i've learned that i got carried away by the possibility which a lot of entrepreneurs get carried away by by saying hey this could be this and if it had worked out this it would have just been magnanimous but it didn't and i did not spend enough time thinking through what could go wrong and how would things work out and how would i manage that if they went wrong we had to do a lot of double takes we had to do a lot of renegotiations we were happy that we were fortunate that we had good partners who were understanding uh but had i thought through some of those issues earlier on what are the things that can go wrong not that it should stop you from taking the risk but it allows you to structure your deal differently it allows you to take risks in a slightly different manner and my learning from that has been one stay economical business at the end of the day is only business right it can go well it can go bad right think carefully about both sides of the coin and realize that gita says you know you are only here to do your job with that with that business which is my first learning my second learning is failure is great today that experience has taught me more than a lot of my good wins my wins are great and i feel very lucky to be a part of that adulation but this experience probably has been a lot more valuable from the learning than the ones that went well so don't be afraid to fail as long as you're learning the lessons in fact when i seek out people to to become partners in my journey i like people who fail because they would be a lot more aware of what not to do than what to do in that situation and that i think is a you know a lot of us focus on what to do the real value is understanding what not to do so those are my learnings from the failure so what your message is that get your business plan sorted out think through some of the challenges and don't be afraid to take the risk yeah. Yeah. and as someone said a turtle does not make progress until it sticks the snake out well said well said absolutely so so you are absolutely right so yash in conclusion one more question for you and i think you spent a lot of time chatting with us what would be your guidance or thoughts for a lot of our viewers who want to be entrepreneurs and who want to move ahead in life i mean you made a success in the very challenging real estate business what would be some of your learnings and how would you share it with our viewers i think what has helped me in good stead is first the ability to learn so what i would encourage people is i hugely underscore the value of education mm-hmm. so make sure you can get the best education you can and that education can be academic the education can be vocational but really hone the capability to learn so when you say best education doesn't have to be at harvard business and, and that's one that's just one option so not right? everyone today, can get there and today today there are so many other options but the whole point is you are you are in every step what you kind of teaching yourself is how to learn Correct. and i think more than ever given the rate at which knowledge is being produced today more than ever your need to be able to learn faster 
will only get greater. So that's your first step. The second step is then how to execute. And working for a good company early in your career can help you do three things. One, it teaches you the value of process. Second, it teaches you the value of working in teams. Third, it and this depends on the companies, but it tells you and teaches you how to measure performance and course correct as you go forward. Mm -hmm. A few years spent in that training ground is, I think, again, very valuable, but don't stay there too long, says then you become too comfortable because these companies are also the double-edged sword of that is as you do well, they'll make you feel great. And the more great you feel, the more you'll stay. Mm -hmm. And I think today I should have moved out a little earlier. That would be my one learning for myself. But that's great at a certain point in time because coming back to the paradigm I talked about to today's entrepreneurs is the only way to stay engaged with our own life going forward is by doing newer and newer things, is by staying relevant in, in your capability to do things, and entrepreneurial platforms allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. So the earlier you create one for yourself, even if it's you know multiple times you keep on reinventing yourself, but the earlier you get onto that journey, the more productive life you'll have longer term. So that would be my advice. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Yash. Pleasure. Thank you for all your insights and good luck with YTR. I'm sure it'll be a super success, not just in India, but all over South Asia and hopefully out of the in the world. Well, I thank you, but, but more importantly, uh, I know we're talking about brand called you here, but thank you, EQ, and for all your help, Ash, as you coached me uh, through the years to really take on this entrepreneurial journey and to stay committed to it. So the thanks is as much to you uh, more than anything. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply search for The Brand Called You. Thank you and see you next week.